Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I want to welcome you to my podcast, From Crisis to Connection. Each week on this podcast, my guests and I will give you and your loved ones resources and tools to heal from the crises of infidelity, pornography, abusive behaviors, and betrayal trauma. But we also talk about how to build and maintain healthy connection in your most important relationships. Thanks for listening. I'm so glad you're here. Shame is one of the most challenging issues that seems to attach itself to a pornography struggle, whether you're the person struggling with it, whether you're the betrayed spouse, whether you're a parent or a young person or someone just trying to to deal with this issue. It seems to kind of bring a lot of energy of fear and anxiety and judgment and avoidance. My guests today are a really fantastic couple, Hayden and Savannah Paul, and they have been working so hard in their relationship to reduce the shame around this issue. In fact, they're podcasters. They host a weekly podcast called I Stand at the Door, and it's geared toward helping parents, youth, church leaders understand and navigate these complicated issues surrounding pornography. Hayden himself personally fought a 10-year battle against the struggle and has learned a lot of lessons and has had sobriety from pornography for way over a year, almost two years, And he has worked really hard to bring his lessons and his healing and his knowledge and and wisdom that he's gained through this long struggle to so many other people around the world. Savannah and Hayden have a really unique story because before they were even married, Hayden opened up to her about his struggle. He was super honest with her, reducing the shame, living in the light, and gave her an opportunity to have full consent and understanding exactly what you know they were going to be dealing with. And she chose in. And they have a really cool story and they'll tell about it in the podcast interview that I had with them. But both of them are working really hard to help lots of couples, teaching these great lessons on their podcast. And we have a really cool discussion about lots of, lots of great things. We talk about sexual intimacy in marriage. We talk about reducing shame. We talk about supporting others, coming out of hiding, and really just how to live and talk about this issue in a way that is much more effective than maybe the old ways that it's been talked about with fear, avoidance, judgment. Hayden is also a Marine. He's an infantry rifleman in the United States Marine Corps. And Savannah is just finished her nursing degree from BYU. And they have a brand new baby boy, Walker, who actually joined us on the podcast, surprisingly. He woke up early from his nap and they brought him in. And you'll hear some fun baby sounds uh, later in the podcast. It was really awesome. So I'll put a link to their podcast in the show notes, but guys, this is a great interview. This is a great couple. You're going to love hearing from them. So thanks for joining us today. Here's my interview with Hayden and Savannah Paul. Well, welcome to the podcast, Savannah and Hayden. Sure. Glad you guys are here with us today. Thank you. We're excited to be here. Yeah. So I'd love to hear your story. First of all, I I know that you guys have your own podcast and you, you share so much from your own personal experience, but so my audience can get a better feel for who you guys are, where you've come from, what you've been through, what you're dealing with. Why don't you share as much as you want with our my audience here about what you guys, you know, you've you've been through, what you're doing. For sure. Yeah. I guess I'll start because the, the story will start with me and then Savannah will take over about halfway through. And so yeah. for me, I was um, just like any other 13-year-old. Yeah. I uh, started to be more attracted to women. I started to be more curious, had those hormones going. And I was kind of the first group that was given like cell phones when you're, you know, 14, 15 years old. And I was one of the first groups that went all the way through high school with smartphones and things of that nature. And Mm -hmm. so I quickly took my curiosities to the internet. And I remember the first time that I like sought out and found like hardcore pornographic content was when I was 13 years old. And like, I can still remember exactly like the room I was in, where we were at, And I remember the images as well. And 
at first it scared me. Like I had no idea what I was looking at. It, it was yeah. like very, it was very shocking. And so I just turned it off immediately. Like mm. once I got to the page, like curiosity was not like, that wasn't something that I had anymore. I was like, I don't want to look at that. So I turned it off. And over time though, those images went from scary to enticing. Mm. Yep. And I eventually found myself looking for it again and again and again. And I knew it was wrong. I knew, you know, throughout my early years, like pornography was very much like scare tactics were used and a lot of them weren't very productive. A lot of times what it did was it, it made me want to hide it more. It made me ashamed of it. Like they talked about all the bad things that could happen. You know, you could end up like the very extreme things were like, you could end up actually sexually assaulting someone. You could end up doing something. Right violent to someone or like they use those as a way to scare, you know, boys away from pornography right? Um, or like the whole family's going to fall apart and, and all these things. And even though there may be truth, it's not an effective way to keep kids away from something that speaks so deeply to our biology and is so effective at what it does, which is helping you cope with stress, anxiety, mm-hmm. and all the things that teenage kids struggle with. And so because of the way that I viewed pornography and I thought that the people around me would view me if I told them that I struggled with pornography, I just hit it. By the time I was 17 years old, it was like every single day, uh, multiple times a day sometimes. And there were even times where I couldn't fall asleep unless I looked at porn first because my mind would like race. Mm-hmm. And like the only way I could calm it down was that, that release. Mm-hmm. And I just, I hit it. And I eventually decided I wanted to serve a, a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And, you know, before that, you have these interviews that just you talk about your your, your spiritual readiness and and kind of where you are with your uh, spirituality and commitment to to being Christian. And I was asked specifically about pornography in those interviews and if I struggled with them. And I just lied. Just I was so scared. I just lied. And eventually I went out on my mission. And finally, after being out for, you know, like, six or seven weeks. Mm-hmm. And I was just involved in good work. I was learning about, I was strengthening my testimony in God and Jesus Christ. And I eventually was like, I need to share this burden with someone. I've been hiding it for so long. So I finally shared that burden with someone and I just felt this overwhelming peace. And I finally, like my conscience quieted and I just, I felt like this is it. Like that, I don't know why I held on to it by myself for so long. And I went out, I served my mission faithfully and I came home and I thought I, I had the problem solved, you know, for those who don't know, during the two years of an LDS mission, you're with someone 24 seven, you have right. limited access to technology and you literally are teaching and sharing the gospel 24 seven. And so during that time, I didn't struggle with pornography for some obvious reasons. One is I didn't really have access to it. And I was with someone and I was engaged in positive service oriented work. And so I came home, got back into normal life. And what is very common, I think, among a lot of return missionaries is about three months after being home, I got back into normal life, got back into social media, I got my phone and I found myself looking at a pornographic website again. And this time was different though. I asked for help immediately. I I called my bishop, who's kind of like a pastor and I had, I just shared with him my history and I was like, I don't want this to be a part of my life. I know it hurts me spiritually and it makes me less confident. It makes me less, I feel like less of like a, just like a strong, confident man. And I don't want that in my life. And so, you know, he did his best to help support me, but it, it kept happening over and over again. And it started getting worse at its worst after my mission, you know, it was like three times a week, maybe, but it was way more than I wanted it. Cause I wanted it zero times. Yeah, and- for sure. And then just kind of to wrap up and, and get to the point where Savannah and I start sharing, like we, we start our story together is I finally met a church leader who presented me with kind of a way out, a plan. It's called the Healing and Recovery Program. It's a modified 12-step program that was specified towards pornography. And it was different than any other addiction recovery program because it was the playbook for this specific, you know, addictive thing. And the reason that's so important is because there's underlying concepts and foundational principles in addiction recovery that will be, you'll find in any sort of thing. And no matter the substance, no matter what it is, 
But pornography is so unique in the fact that it's free, it's ever present, and it's so easy to hide that it needs a very specific route in order to be able to overcome it. And I found that in the healing and recovery program. And after, you know, working for two years, going to like meetings, like they're like 12 step meetings and, and being accountable every single time I messed up, I learned a million lessons. And that's kind of what our podcast, I stand at the door is about. And during that time, I finally became, started to become free from pornography. And, and that's when I met Savannah after I'd been pretty far down that road, I wasn't perfect yet. I, I still messed up every once in a while. By the time I met Savannah, I was very comfortable with where I was at because I was on a road to recovery. Mm-hmm. I was on a road to overcoming. I was no longer ashamed of it. I was speaking about it openly in church meetings and to individuals. And, and so when I met Savannah, I really felt like I had a hold on it. And I was very glad because she was someone that I wanted to be with. And that's why we're married now. So, but then I'll, I'll let Savannah. And I mean, if you want to stop and ask any questions now or whatever you want to do, but Savannah can continue the story if that's what you want. No, that's great. And I, and I know that you're a, you're a U.S. Marine. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Are you doing that actively right now? Or was this a part of your life before? No. So I enlisted super late. I was 24 years old and I, uh, it was after we were married that I actually went to boot camp. So we started our marriage. And five weeks later, so we got married. Five weeks later, I left for boot camp. COVID hit and it turned into a six month, six months without seeing each other. So kind of a rough way to start our, oh, start you our marriage. Guys, that's and a now, story. Yeah. And now I'm, just, I'm serving in the infantry reserves. So I'm not active duty every day, all day. Okay. Uh, type, but I'm just in the reserves. And if ever there's a time that we go to war or anything, then I'll be, uh, I'll be used. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. My goodness, guys, like to have your first uh, six months of marriage be long distance. That's kind of like not the plan, right? Yeah, I don't recommend it. <laughs> well, awesome. Yeah. Well, Savannah, let's, let's hear from you. Thanks, Hayden. I'll, I'll, uh, we'll definitely circle back and keep talking about things, but yeah, I'd love to hear from you, Savannah. Sure. So my story kind of also starts with just growing up being taught these fear tactics and these kind of shame tactics surrounding pornography. And so in my mind, I had created this idea that I could not marry someone who had struggled with pornography, that that was like a big red X deal breaker, like Mm -hmm. that will ruin your life. And so I had had experiences dating other people where it wasn't really openly talked about. And looking back, I can see how it like really negatively affected our relationship. And when I met Hayden, he was so open with me about it pretty early on in our relationship. He was very confident in where he was on the path to recovery. Mm-hmm. And he just pretty, I mean, I think it was like one of our first dates, like our fifth date or something like that. He was like, oh yeah, I'm going to go to this healing and recovery program. And so I knew just early on that that was something that had been part of his life, but I also saw him actively trying to change and to overcome it. So that, that was comforting for me. So real quick, so this wasn't something you had to discover or pull out of him or... No, I mean, not at all. you came into the relationship knowing that he was committed and dead serious about working through this and being a healthy guy. Yes. And he was so open with me from the start mm-hmm. that I felt like I could trust him. If something were to happen again, I felt like, you know, he's the kind of guy who would be open with me about it and would be honest. And like so he'd that be was the first to tell you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that was, that was encouraging. So we dated for, <laughs> we dated for like two months before we got engaged. It was so fast. <laughs> when you know, you know, <laughs> that's right. That's right. But when he, when we were engaged, I think just a couple weeks after we got engaged, Hayden called me that night and said, I, well, I could tell he seemed really uncomfortable about something. And right before we hung up, I was like, is there something you want to talk about? And he just kind of told me that he had looked at pornography that day and that he knew he needed to talk to me about it. And that that was it. Like it was that he just told me what had happened. And, and my initial thoughts in my head were really scared and really confused. Like, what do I do now? Is this like the deal breaker that I always thought it was, is Mm -hmm. this, where do I go from here? And so I just told Hayden, I am so glad that you told me I'm going to have to call you back. (laughs) And so we ended the call and I immediately got on my knees and just talked to God and said, I, 
I don't know what to do because I want to respond authentically with the way that I'm feeling. And also I want to be helpful for him and a support for him if that's the role that I need to play right now. But in that moment, I had so many insecurities and so many doubts and worries. And I don't know how, if we want to go into detail right now, we can, but pretty much the end of that story is that I, I got an answer straight from God that I needed that gave me validation and comfort and also like kind of the next steps that I needed to do, which was to marry him, obviously. <laughs> well, yeah, let's, let, yeah, let's, let's take a minute and talk about that. Cause I mean, here you are, you're dating someone, you're engaged. It's a fast engagement, right? So there's not a lot of history and everything's feeling right. And then he comes to you and opens up about this struggle. Like he, you know, he does basically, he's very consistent with like his process, which is he's not going to hide it, can be open about it. And, you know, again, you had to confront all your fears from, a, you know, your younger years of being told that this was the biggest red flag deal breaker on the planet. And, and so, yeah, what was your process at that point? Because that's a, that's a really scary moment for someone in your position. Yeah. Well, I, in my previous experiences with being really forgiving and kind and loving and helping these other people that I dated, I kind of got really hurt and was really, there were some really negative outcomes. And so I think I'd kind of been like almost trained to think like, I have to have a zero tolerance policy for this and I need to run. Like I need to get going because this is like, I've already seen how this can affect a relationship. Okay. I I have to pause you again. Sorry. I just, this is so interesting to me. So like, and other, other guys you dated that had struggled with this, you felt like you were in the support role, but you were kind of getting chewed up, spit out. <laughs> like yeah. you were, so what was that? I mean, can you tell me what exactly what the dynamic was? What, what was so hurtful to you in that? Yeah. Yes. So I, first of all, they were not open with me. Okay. I didn't really know about the problem. I kind of found out later. Mm. I saw in our relationship, like, there was like abuse. There was treating me like in my my body in ways that he should not have. And I was so, let me help you. I was trying to be forgiving and kind and it's okay. Like I know that you're working on this, but nothing ever changed. Like nothing ever, like I didn't have the respect that I deserved. I was being pushed into doing things that I didn't want to do. And I think looking back, I think that was a result of pornography use that was not being worked through. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like you were working harder to make this work than they were. I think so. Right. Yeah. Like that it was sort of yeah. you having to do all the emotional gymnastics to try and yeah. somehow keep this thing together versus them having the burden on them to really create safety and transparency and openness and commitment and all these things. You were just trying to sort of like, I don't know, just sort of uh, help them along instead of them really being there for you. Yes, exactly. And there was mm-hmm. a lot of manipulation and yeah. the whole relationship was just very unhealthy anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So I was afraid that, oh, if I am willing to forgive and help Hayden with this problem, that I'm just going to get, like you said, shoot up and spit out again, <laughs> that this is going to just be like a repeat of what I've experienced. So it was really scary. Well, yeah. And really, really defining what does it even mean as, you know, in your case, as a, as the wife or the girlfriend or whatever, like what is your, what is helping even look like? Right. Like that can be, because you're like helping before was more like enabling or ignoring or denial. And so what does actual help look like in a healthy relationship? You just had no template for it. Zero. I had no idea what to do. So that's where God comes in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that's where God so, comes in. So you had a, you, you processed this, you prayed about it and you felt like there was an answer to just go forward with this. Did you have any specific sort of sense or ideas or words or sort of impressions about what how this was going to look or work for you? Well, that specific evening with that specific prayer, I felt that God wanted me to use that forgiving nature that I have to bless Hayden in this example. And that this was a safe place where I could say, I'm going to help you in any way that I can. I'm going to be here for you. I'm not breaking up with you. And another thing that I felt really impressed to do was to be open and honest with him about the things that I was experiencing. Hmm. So that night I had thoughts run through my head of maybe I'm not sexy enough and that's why he's turned to pornography again. Or maybe there are needs that I'm not going to be able to fill once we get married and that this is going to be a recurring problem, right? I had a lot of fears like on my own. Totally. Just my own end. 
And I felt like it was really important for me to share those with Hayden as well so that we both could have that communication and trust and not in a manipulating way, not in a look what you did to me kind of way, but in a, I just need you to know that I am afraid for these reasons. And like, here's what I know you're doing about this problem. And here's what I'm going to be doing about this. And, and I needed to, yeah. you know, make that boundaries myself that were going to protect my emotions, you know? And so it was really important to have that openness on both ends. Well, yeah. And it's, it's different than what you'd been doing before in this other, was it one relationship or relationships? Um, it was mostly one. Okay. So in this other relationship, like you weren't really advocating for yourself. And so this was, this was a chance to really speak up, use your voice and start to identify really what you were experiencing and needing in this relationship. And even though you got the reassurance that this was a safe relationship to, to express your gifts for forgiveness and openness and acceptance, where in this other relationship, it was not safe to do that. In fact, it got taken advantage of. And so that was a nice reassurance to be able to be who you are and your best self with this, with Hayden, but, Mm -hmm. but that also it comes with the warning label of this is what I've been through. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so be careful, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like, yeah, go ahead, Hayden. Yeah. I I think it's one thing that I think is good to highlight in this story is there in any situation where this, where this is happening, where one person may feel betrayed and the other person may have betrayed or whatever, whatever it is, there has to be mutual empathy, especially, or sympathy, at least compassion. Yeah. Especially in a situation where the person was willingly sharing. I understand like, you know, if like it was just covered up in lies and someone discovered like every situation is different and it's not always, and Savannah will be the first person to say this, it's not always the answer that, yes, you stay with this person and, and help them work through. Like sometimes, no, like if the person, depending Absolutely. on your situation, whatever the Lord tells you. But one thing I do want to say is a lot of people that struggle with porn, this struggle dates back way before they ever met the person that they are married to or that they are dating. And so the, the issue in itself is not rooted in the relationship with the person. It's not rooted. It doesn't have anything to do with the other man or woman, but the problem is rooted in, in deeper things. So like mm-hmm. there, there's guys that I've worked with that like they were eight years old when they first saw like hardcore pornographic content. Yep. And from that point on, it just like got worse and worse and they're 35 years old and they're still stuck in it. And it's like, how much does an eight-year-old, like how much choice does an eight-year-old have? when however they're exposed to this pornographic content and roots into their brain and messes with their brain chemistry. Like, I think there has to be that sort of empathy from everybody with people who struggle. But then for the other person, you have to be empathetic towards your spouse or to the person you're dating that like this still hurts because it attacks something that is deep within all of us, which is our sexuality and something that is sacred. And so there has to be mutual compassion on both sides and it, there can't, if we start playing the blame game, then there is 0% chance that the relationship will continue. Yeah, I love that. And I would say the majority of the people that walk into my office usually have been discovered, right? There's been yeah. some kind of a crisis. And so, you know, what you did, Hayden, in terms of being super transparent upfront with her about it is such a gift, honestly. Like, you know, you're in your struggle. You're not going to wait until you're perfect to start dating, whatever that would even look like, by the way. And so you just were like, you know, here I am and here's what my process is. And I want you to have full consent. Like you gave her an opportunity to be fully informed. And I mean, if there's a lesson in this to anybody who's listening, if you're listening to this and and you're in a dating situation, or even if you're married and you haven't spoken about your personal struggle, you coming forward with it, on your own voluntarily in full transparency and humility will save you so much trouble in terms of trying to create safety, stability, and confidence in this relationship, right? I mean, that's what, that's what you guys experienced. Yeah. Yes. I mean, Savannah, you didn't have to overcome the fear that he wasn't going to come out of hiding, right? Like, I mean, that's, that was never an obstacle for you. Right. Which I'm so grateful for because right. I know that's not the case with everyone, right? And it's not, I, yeah. Since that day, like, that was the the last time that Hayden really viewed pornography. But since then, people have 
sent it to him. It will pop up on his screen and he comes and finds me and he's like, Hey, I just want you to know that this just happened. That's right. And I've I been tempted that, before and I've told her. Yeah. Like I know oh, totally. that he's feeling that pressure, that desire that like he will come to me. That's right. And so that trust has been very consistent, which like I said, I'm very grateful for that because that's not always the case. But the fact is like, like you said, for those listening and we encourage you to, to bring it forward, it's going to be hard. It's going to be really uncomfortable and it's going to be hurtful for the person that you love. And it also will be much less so than if they were to discover it on their own, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So even though it's a challenge, it's totally worth it because then you can start making progress forward and it won't be as painful as it would have been if, if it was still hidden. Yeah. There's definitely no easy way to talk about this and there's, mm -hmm. and it's going to create pain, like you say, the direction, but there definitely is a better way to do it if you still have the chance. Exactly. Um, and Hayden, to your point earlier about having compassion for the person who's bringing this up, you know, the one piece that I would say, now, again, your story is a little bit unique because you guys really weren't married. There wasn't like, you weren't discovering stuff. I mean, it's just a little bit different story. To me, it's like, quite honestly, sort of like if I could sort of give somebody a playbook for how to enter dating and marriage as you're working through and out of kind of a pornography issue you guys seriously, Hayden, like you, you did everything right. Like that, that's exactly what it's supposed to look like. And so I love, I love having this as an example for people to see that like you can enter in and build a strong connection. And I get that you guys are, you know, almost two years into this as, as a married couple, mm -hmm. but you've set a great foundation and you have something to rely on there. But I guess my point, going back to my point is that if you're a betrayed person listening to this, if you're a, a man or a woman that's, that's discovered something or and your person that's, you know, that's violated the, the trust or the promise mm -hmm. is asking you to just be nice to them or please be compassionate. This is hard for me. I believe that that's, everybody wants to be compassionate. I believe that all of us at the core want to be nice people. And I think mm -hmm. that, that it is critical for the person who broke the trust, especially if they were discovered and so on, for them to really hold a little bit more space for the fact that it's going to take a minute for that mm -hmm. compassion and that understanding to come online because you're dealing with shock and you're dealing yeah. with feelings of overwhelm and fear and all kinds of other things that come up. And uh, I don't know for you guys if there's been a lot of that because you just did, you didn't like blow up the marriage with this, right? Like it was, yeah. it was a little bit different. Yeah, I, I've heard, I can't, I'm not going to say, but there was a podcast that I saw recently and um the title of it, I just thought was hilarious. And it was like something like why my wife left me because of porn. And it's like, so you don't bear any responsibility for that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't like that. There's, mm -hmm. there has to be that mutual compassion. And especially if you're being found out, like if you're the one who broke the trust, then like humility is the first step, I believe, in, in repentance and change yep. and becoming better. And if you're not humble enough to just sit there and recognize that you've hurt someone that loves you, then that's really bad. And then just one other thought I want to say, there's this quote I love. I'll do it quick. It's uh, those, every lie we tell incurs a debt to the truth. And sooner or later, that debt will be paid. Mm. And lies, just like credit card debt, accrue compound interest over time. It's not like if you have $10,000 of credit card debt today and you never pay it down, next year you have $12,000 and the next year you have $15,000 and it grows and it grows and it grows. And it's the same thing with the truth. And if you st don't start making payments down on the truth today, then sooner or later, the IRS is going to show up. They're going to take your house. They're going to take your car and you're going to be bankrupt and your family is going to be destroyed. And so I say that and it's not, I don't like to say it as a fear tactic necessarily, but it's just, it's the truth. The truth will always come to light and you can be the one to control how it comes to light or you can let it blindside you. You know, you can hold a ruler and try to bend it. You can try to bend the truth. I, I like to think of it as like putting a ruler to your head and say like you can bend the truth pretty long, but eventually you're going to get tired and you're going to let go and it's going to snap back and hit you in the face. Like I kind of think of it like holding a ruler in your face and bending it. <laughs> I so love sooner that. or later you can... You can only bend the nature of reality for so long before it straightens back out and you're going to be the one that gets hurt and, and the ones that you love are. So that's yeah. my stern, but also loving and hopefully hopeful 
you know, exhortation to people to be honest and, and share and start, start being honest today. It's your best, your best foot forward or your best path forward is to be honest right now. Amen, brother, man. I need to get more Marines on the podcast. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally, I'm, I, I love it. I love the clarity. I love the, the intensity, the passion around that, because again, you're living proof of, of what, what the fruits of that commitment look like, which is I'm going to take control of the truth and I've got to let my girlfriend, fiance, wife make her own decisions. And, I, and I'm respecting her to give her a chance to consent in or out. And so when she walks into this relationship and she says, Hayden, I love you. I want to be with you. I'm committing to you. You're not over there having to manage like, well, if she really knew everything, there's no way she'd love me. It's like full consent in both directions. And that's, that's what secure attachment looks like. So yeah, good mm-hmm. on you guys. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> so, so I guess fast forwarding to today then, I mean, you guys, are you still working? Like, are you going to meetings? Are you still working like a formal recovery process or are you more just kind of working together on this? Or like, what's, what's it look like for you? Both of you, certainly. Yeah, for me, I was still going to the, the 12 set meetings for a long time until our son was born. And all of a sudden it was just like, you only have so much time, right? Oh, right. right? And so just kind of dedicated, you know, that time to just being home, I guess. And you're probably now, I mean, because once you have a kid, it's just like throws your whole life through a loop. And that's when I just kind of, <laughs> it's just like, all right, well, I'm going to, I need a time to get back on my feet. But yeah, I, I still went. And the thing is, is that we still actively are, I'm, I'm in the point of recovery, you know, the 12th, the 12th step in, in the program we went to is having had um, an awakening through the atonement of Jesus Christ, practice these, pr- share these principles and practice them in all you do. And so I still practice the principles of recovery. I still do a lot of the things that I was doing before. I still, I charge my phone outside of my, that was one of my things, my practical things is I never charged my phone in my room. I still charge it in the kitchen this day. And I, I still practice a lot of the principles, but a lot of my focus is in helping others come towards the light. And that really helps me stay on the path in a big way. Yeah. I imagine doing your podcast is, you know, is a huge part of that for you. Mm-hmm. You can help reach so many people that way instead of sponsoring just one-on-one guys, right? For sure. And we do a little bit of both. We have a lot of people that reach out through the podcast Good. and conversations with them. And so I really, I really love that. And I, I just love what we, we do a lot of, you know, public speaking, like speaking at churches and things like that, because we really believe that the answer to this, the best way to make it so husbands aren't coming out or being found out or wives or whatever, because it's, it, it spans yeah. across yeah. all genders. Mm-hmm. but the best way to stop that from happening is by changing the conversation early on by allowing people to figure it out and not be ashamed of it at the beginning, but turn for resources early on in their life before they're married, before they have kids. And so we're really trying to help change the conversation when it comes to pornography and we're not making light of pornography, but we're bringing light to it and hopefully trying to get rid of the shame that surrounds it so that young men and young women can ask for help early on and hopefully avoid all the, the bad ramifications that, that come from, you know, letting it fester until you're married and have a family and all that. Yeah. Like not having to just sort of hold your breath and hope that things will get better once you're married. And I can't tell you if I, you know, it's so many people over the last 20 plus years, a therapist tell me that they, it's like, seriously, like the exact same comment, which is, I really thought once I got married and was able to have sex, that this would go away. I mean, you probably hear it all the time. Oh Yeah. And I'm it's like, this problem isn't about sex. No. Mm-mm. Has not nothing at all. to Yeah. And people are like, what? What? Like, no, it's not about sex, about emotions, about attachment, about spiritual belief. It's about all kinds of stuff. It's about coping. It's like totally. Yeah. Oh, you're good. I was just gonna say, I mean, in fact, from like the wife's perspective, yeah. For I guess at the time I was his fiance, but I like he had to kind of teach me that pornography and like healthy intimacy are total opposites. Like they're not even the same thing. Yeah. And so thinking that like getting married and being able to have sex is going to fix the problem. Like porn is filling something that it's not filling anything. It's a never ending hole. <laughs> it's it's exactly. Desire, you know? And so for me and trying to like heal, cause I mean, I experienced betrayal, even though, I mean, I I've experienced betrayal in other ways. And one thing that is helpful for me to remember and understand that brings me comfort that I know is true is that 
marital intimacy is sacred. It is light. It is good. And that anything else, pornography, anything like that of that nature is it's darkness. It's, they're not even comparable. They're complete opposites. And so it's been difficult, but possible for me to believe that that side of things, the pornography and like the dark, like sinning side of things does not have to affect our sacred marital intimacy because what I have with my husband is real and the emotions and feelings and experiences that accompany that are completely different than something that he would experience while viewing pornography, right? And so knowing that there's such opposites is actually a comforting thing for me as a spouse to think about, you know, how, no, nothing was taken away from me. No, nothing was was replaced because they are so different. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. That's actually one of the chapters in, in our book, uh, Love You, Hate the Porn. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. That it just talks about how pornography is no match for a real person, right? Like, there's just no comparison. And so I love what you're saying, uh, Savannah, that, you know, you're saying basically, I never have to feel threatened because if he wants that life, he can go get that and all the darkness and all the like dysfunction that comes with that. Because I know that what, what we have or what I can have with him, those two worlds aren't even the same. They're so different. And it's so true. So many betrayed partners, it's mostly women that I work with that are betrayed. That so many of them feel, understandably, I get the reflex, but I, we have to educate, which is they feel like they have to chase this somehow or compete with it or somehow- They have to be sexier in the bedroom. Yeah, right? like they, yeah that they're somehow just uh, less than, and it's, it's like, oh no, like you're not one dimensional. Like you're not just a body. You're not just a collection of body parts. Like you're a, a living, yeah. breathing soul, a person. You, you have so much to offer. And if he can't or won't connect with all of you like that, right? Then that's, that's on him. And that's, that's not because you're not enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and so healthy, well said. healthy intimacy that is like, there's a give and take on both sides. Yeah. Pornography is just a take. Mm-hmm. It's a take, 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 take. So true. And, and true intimacy. Like after we have like sexual intimacy and you know, like you're just like aligned and it, and it's like really good experience. Like you feel so fulfilled. You feel like this energy, like you feel energy. I don't know how to explain it, but when it comes to pornography, you feel depleted, you feel ashamed, and you do not in any way feel fulfilled in any way. I compared uh, it to like porn is like chewing gum and true healthy sexual intimacy is like Thanksgiving dinner. One of them is real. One of them actually nourishes you and gives you life. The other one is just using the same, you're chewing, right? But eventually it loses flavor. You got to spit it out and you got to get a new piece. And if you just chew on that forever, then you're going to die. I love it. That's a great metaphor. I've actually never heard that one before, but that's perfect. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. And I love the contrast, what you're saying that you can feel the difference. Like one is building and growing and connecting and it's got life in it. And it's, it's like, you know, one time somebody described pornography and, and everything that goes with it is it's like sex without soul, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's just soulless. And yeah. because it's, a, it's basically, you're just, you know, you're taking people and treating them like they're not even people. Mm-hmm. And to have yeah. a, a living, breathing person, two people that are really building something is just so different. Yeah, it's the connection. And I would say sex is more soul than it is body. Like in, in reality- Sex is more about the soul than it is about the body. Right. And so, I mean, because you can also, I mean, take away pornography and just, you know, the hookup culture that exists today, which facilitates and and just adds more and more to this never-ending fire of lust. But it's the same thing. Like you can go and you can do the physical act of sex with a million people and you will still never feel satisfied. And it's because, and I, I guess I've never thought about it this way until you you brought up the whole soul thing and everything, but I really do believe that true healthy intimacy is about two souls connecting. It's not about two bodies, yeah. you know? Yeah, absolutely. Connect. I love that. Yeah, hmm. it is. It is. And I don't know. I, I think that it has to be about the soul because what hope do older people have, right? When the bodies stop working. <laughs> yeah, it's when, true. When bodies break down or people with disabilities or illnesses 
can still, and we know this, can still enjoy a, such a deep transcendent level of closeness and connection sexually. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's about the soul. It's about, it's about intimacy. And so I want to I wanna ask you guys, I know we need to wrap up here soon, but I, I want to ask you so much of what your message is and what you guys are trying to do for people is to really take the shame out of talking about pornography. How do we just as family members, people who might struggle, spouses, just anybody who's involved in this, what can we do to reduce the shaming and, but still have healthy expectations and, you know, boundaries and stuff? Yeah. So a lot of the work that we do is focused on Christianity and what we call repentance, right? Which I mean, your space would just be recovering from pornography use. But Mm -hmm. I think the way that, I mean, when Hayden and I talk to people about this, we call it creating a culture of repentance. We call it creating this space where the way that we talk about sin, the way that we talk about other people who struggle with pornography, the way that we, you know, if it's, if you're a parent and your child is struggling with pornography, do they know what your reaction will be if they come to you and, and bring it up? You know, can you explain to your spouse or children, Hey, just so you know, if you ever struggle with something like this, you know, or maybe if currently you're struggling with this thing, if you come and tell me, I want you to know that I'm going to do my best to love you and to support you. And I will be honest and open with you, but we're going to work through it together. And it's going to be something that can build our relationship and not something that I'm going to try and punish you or, you know what I mean? So creating that culture in our homes, I think is so important and creating that culture within churches and groups and support and just knowing like, this is a problem that plagues so many people. And the more we can talk about the recovery side of it, the less it's going to be a shameful thing that people are afraid to bring to light. Right. So I think that's, I mean, sorry, our, our baby just joined us here. (laughs) Oh, hello. I wish you guys could see this. This is the first baby I've had on the podcast. And this is the (laughs) best way to spend time on the, I love this. Yeah. Who is that? Little fussy. This Little is Walker. Walker. Hey, Walker. You make some baby sounds in the microphone? Won't say much. <laughs> yeah, no, but. Oh, my goodness. What a cutie. We love him. Yeah. Congratulations, guys, on parenthood. I'm telling you, it just gets better. Yeah, it's awesome. Thanks. It's amazing. Love it. I, I love yeah. it. I love it. You guys. But, yeah. Well, real quick, yeah. let me respond to Savannah. Like, yeah. I, I, I love what you're saying as far as the, just the, the sort of like, casual culture that we have around how we talk about struggles and mistakes and people that struggle with these things. Like we have to just be aware of the fact that like our children, especially around us are listening to these things all the time, that they're, they're hearing this and they're getting an idea of how they're going to be treated if they make a mistake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and one other thing that I think is important because you can go, I believe that, you know, that we make mistakes when we get into the extremes. It doesn't matter what side of the extremes we're on, Mm -hmm. right? So we could get to the side where we talk about it and it's so casual to the point where it's justifying it. But then the other side is we don't talk about it at all. And then it just festers and gets worse. Both of them are bad, right? And so it's that that healthy balance. And I think one thing that allows us to uh, to have that healthy balance is just understanding the enemy that we're up against, that this is completely unique to this generation in such a serious way. We up to 150 years ago, if you wanted to see or engage in the type of things that you can find online on any mobile device, yep. Uh, yep. you had to go to a brothel. You had to go to bad places. Um, and what actually kept you from going there was the fear of shame in a sense, because you knew that people were going totally. to see and that there was no way of hiding it. Right. Um, then comes out the invention of the print and, and photography and even then you had to go buy a Playboy. You had to hide the Playboy. At least the people at the register knew and the people in that store. Yeah, one knew, person, yeah. Buying that, right? But now what happens is you can go into a bathroom, you can access whatever you want and you can do whatever you're going to do, get out and no one has to know about it. And so shame actually keeps people trapped in it instead of acting as a deterrent in a way. And so we need to change the way that we are fighting this enemy and the old tactics. I like to say that it's like, you know, in the Revolutionary War, we, we use musket and ball. And one uh, revolutionary soldier was expected to fire three rounds. So three bullets every single minute. Right. 
Today, we have something called a minigun, and it mounts on the side of a helicopter, and it can fire 800 rounds a minute. So it like 50 a second, something like that, like 50 rounds a second. Crazy. Right? It sound, like it doesn't sound like a boop, boop, boop. It sounds like zzz, like yeah. that's how fast it is. It sounds yeah. like a laser yeah. almost. And so it's kind of like pornography and the smartphone and the internet brought a minigun to the fight and we were still using revolutionary tactics. And that's why there's so many casualties. And so we need to change the way that we are doing this unless we want to keep up with the casualties. And so I think understanding that we're up against something we've never understood, we've never been able to had to fight against will give us a little bit of, you know, empathy, compassion, just enough where we can be like, okay, well, we shouldn't blame our kids. We shouldn't blame these people who are struggling with porn because we're up against something we never have been. And then we can start changing and, and start, you know, helping them instead of just judging them. Well, and it's easier to have empathy for someone when you understand how actually challenging it is to fight it. Right. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that they're excused or that they get a free pass and can do what they want just because it's hard. But it can, I think, facilitate a little bit more unity in that relationship to say, this is not a fight against each other. It's a fight together against something that's really hard, you know, and to, to be unified in that. Yeah. And I, that's Sorry, okay. We can, we can give Walker, Walker a turn. You have something to say. You want to get in on the mix, Walker? You have something to say? <laughs> oh my gosh. I just want to squeeze your cheeks. You are so adorable. Oh, there there you go. Thank you. You squeeze them for okay. me. And I'm seeing this with a lot of younger couples like yourselves who are coming into this already having worked a recovery process or already being educated and really kind of working together as a team, you know, from go. And so what you've set up makes it more possible to be able to do this and, and to have that. I mean, Savannah can say, yeah, I want to have compassion for this guy because you weren't making her do all the work. You weren't making her, you weren't manipulating her. You weren't lying to her. You weren't, she wasn't having to overcome that huge hurdle. And I'm telling you, I, most of the women that I work with that have been lied to, manipulated, abused, I mean, just all the things that they've had to overcome to find out the truth, mm -hmm. they, one of their biggest losses is that, that they never got a chance to really be there and support their husband. They don't feel like they're part of a team. No, they don't. They, they feel like- Left out. Totally. They've been left out. And, and so much of them have some grief and sadness and loss that they don't get to have that. They don't get to act on that natural inclination, that natural reflex to want to support and be there. And they feel conflicted because they're like, I don't know how to help somebody who feels like they're trying to destroy me. So, mm -hmm. so I love, I mean, you've created an environment by leading out in truth that makes it easier for you, Savannah, to care about what his experience is. And it's beautiful. I mean, this is, this is how, and to me, like a couple relationship working like this is going to be that more advanced way of fighting this because trying to do it alone by yourself is super difficult. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Like beautiful. And hopefully it bleeds into the culture of our family and with our children and, yeah. and hopefully like the honesty that we feel for each other. Like we have a lot of honest conversations and you know, it's, it's amazing. It really is. And we talk about hard subjects together. Yeah. And I think we do it in a very productive way. Very rarely, I don't think ever we have ever resulted to name calling or cheap jabs or anything like that. We've nice. had heated conversations. We've had conversations about real things, but it's never divulged into trying to hurt each other. And so I, we hope that, and I really do believe this, that parents, they set the tone in their home. Mm -hmm. And if they're honest with each other, then their children will feel okay to be honest with them. And that is how we get a foot up on this issue with pornography and actually make a difference. Man, so many truth bombs, guys. Like seriously, just some great stuff here. Tell my listeners about your podcast. Tell us what you're doing. Yeah. So let's see. It was like two months after Hayden got home from boot camp, and he came to me and he said, I have learned so much from, well, partly from military training, but also just from his own personal struggle against pornography. And he, he would just tell me like daily, like, I just thought of this new thing. I just, I thought of this new thing that I feel like I need to tell people. And he said, I want to start a podcast. And so we've started, we've had our podcast going for a little over a year and we focus on that de-shaming the problem, but we also have talked with therapists on our podcast. We've talked with other people who have experienced the struggle of pornography. We I've shared more of my experiences and, and tools that helped me. And I could talk for hours about lessons that I've learned and my relationship with God and trying to work through this. And so 
we give actual real tactics as well of, of maybe this will help you in your recovery and kind of putting the puzzle together. So that's our purpose is to eliminate the shame and turn people towards Jesus Christ and just trying to work through the consistent struggle. And I don't know, what would you add? I would just say that we try our, our podcast is more of a pharmacy. We're not the pharmacists. We create a place where there's medicine and we believe that, you know, by working with Christ, who is the great practitioner, he is the great healer that he will let you know what medicine you need to apply because your ailment and your struggles are different than mine. And even though there are similarities, everybody's recovery process looks different. And, you know, so it is titled, I stand at the door. It's based on that, a painting of Christ knocking on the door, but there's no handle saying that we have to let him in. And in our estimation, the biggest reason why we don't let him in is because we have a messy house. And just like, you know, anytime important guests came over and your mom was like, clean up the house. No one (laughs) make it look like no one lives here. We trick ourselves into thinking that that's what we need to do. We need to, we need to solve these issues on our own. And then we can start being open and honest with Christ and, and having true faith, but no, he came to our house to clean them up. And so that's our message. And we're grateful that we've been able to share a little bit of it with you here today. Oh my goodness. Thank you guys. Like, so it's called, I stand at the door and you can find it wherever podcasts are. Is that the best way to contact you guys? You guys on social media too? I'm on social media, but we don't have, we have like a Facebook page for our podcast, but we're not very good at updating it. So just (laughs) listen to the podcast. Yeah. Listen listen to the podcast. podcast. (laughs) You can reach us through our Facebook page. You can send us, send us a message. Cool. Okay. An email Hayden at istandatthedoor.com if people wanted to reach out to us. So well, those are- yeah, this is fantastic. You both are, are so inspiring and, and just so relatable. And I just love hearing your story. And, and of course, I want to thank both of you for your service to our country, the sacrifices you're making to keep us safe from foreign and domestic enemies. And I just respect both of you so much for just the hard work you're doing both before and during your marriage to really build a solid foundation and be, be a, a stable example and resource for so many people that are looking for models and looking for hope and support. So we just need more folks like you out there. And I'm just grateful to have met both of you and to have you guys here with, with me and with my audience for just a little bit here. Back at Thank you. you. Thank you. It's an honor. We appreciate the work that you're doing. It is so important. Once again, you can learn more about Hayden and Savannah. Just go to their podcast, I Stand at the Door. You can find that where all major podcasts are found, and you can also look for the link in the show notes. Thanks again, guys. It's such a pleasure to be with you on the podcast today. Just so cool. Love your story, love your energy, and so inspired by what you're doing. And I want to thank all of you again for listening. There's so many great resources out there, and so I'm just grateful that you're here listening to this one. Pass it along. Tell somebody else about what you're learning. There's so many people that are hurting and struggling and need good resources. And of course, I want to point you to some of the resources that I've created that help support this podcast. I've got an online course called the Trust Building Bootcamp. It's 12 weeks of lessons, videos, worksheets, and support, and a monthly question and answer with me every single month for a year to help you learn how to rebuild trust and become a trustworthy person in your relationship. You can go check that out on my website, fromcrisis2connection.com. There's also past episodes of this podcast, a weekly relationship column, and all kinds of other great resources that I've created, curated, collected, and of course, check me out on social media. I love hearing from you, and I will get back to you. I am just so grateful for the support and the ideas and the feedback. I have the best audience. You guys are awesome. So keep working hard, and I look forward to seeing you guys in the next episode.